podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined, as always, by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? I'm wearing many layers, but not as many as Guy. It is Baltic. It is absolutely ridiculously cold. You can maybe, maybe just understand why Jurgen Klopp took the lads off to Dubai for a couple of weeks, because anything is better than that shit. Jesus wept. It's like minus four or something at the moment. And obviously minus 14 or whatever where Guy is, but that is, it's unacceptably cold, Carl. What's going on? Um, I, I assume this is all part of the, you know, the wider world's protest at a Winter World Cup in Qatar. And, you know, Can we blame Qatar for this? I, I think so, because, you know, this it's, it's, it's like a reverse version of that game show, whatever it was called, years ago when they used to send the things past at the end and say, this is what you could have won. It's like the reverse of it. <laughs> you could have had a World Cup in the snow. Um, yeah, Qatar stealing all of the world's heat to power their World Cup. It is their fault. Um, we are here today to discuss Liverpool's friendly games, the one that's just happened against Lyon, the one that will take place in a couple of days against AC Milan, and the upcoming League Cup game against Manchester City, as well as injuries and other bits of news and gossip that are going on. So, Carl, let's start with that Lyon game. Liverpool line up with Kelleher, Milner, Matip, Gomez, Robertson, Elliot, Besetic, Alcantara, Salah, Firmino, and Fabio Carvalho. They go 1 0 up within a minute through a Fabio Carvalho goal. And that's where the good stuff stopped. <laughs> Harvey Elliott gets injured and has to go off. Now, it seems like it might just have been a precaution to bring him off. So off he goes, and Melkamu Fraundorf comes on. Um, Lacazette scores, Barcola scores, Lacazette scores again. Leon win uh, 3-1 during the game. And then because this is a strange competition, it went to penalties to get a bonus point. Uh, Leon scored five penalties. They went first. Liverpool only took four. Costa scored, Calvin Ramsey missed, Oxlade-Chamberlain scored, and Naby Keita scored. If I'm looking for positives in this game, Carl, the positives are Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain played football and Naby Keita played football. And I'm not really sure where else I'm finding a positive out of this, other than it's some minutes in the legs. Okay, I've got a few more for you, but on both sides, uh, sadly. Um Mo Salah also missed a penalty during the game, uh, so that's that's another thing on the not very good list. Um, 
Joel Matic played, come back after injury, so that's minutes in the legs for him as well. So that's a, that's a positive, I guess. Um, I think it's, you know, we don't really need to look too deeply into this. The, the game was, it started quite good. Lots and lots of subs at halftime, obviously, and beforehand. And um, it, it very quickly went downhill. Uh, I think it's quite evident that there was an attempt, let's say, to to be a bit more aggressive and on the front foot than we saw towards the back end of last season. And there's been a few noises out of the, the group about a renewed focus on pressing and all that kind of thing. We didn't do any pressing in the first half of the season, so I don't really know how much we're going to see that get back to what it was a couple of years ago, let's say. Um, but look, this, this friendlies, we don't really care about the outcome. It was a much, much weaker side after the break. I think the kids who came on in attack did relatively well. Um, Dominic Connors and Ben Dark, pretty good, both of them. In defence, less good, I would say, the guys who came on. Um, probably that goes for the goalkeeper as well. Not really too much more to take out of it other than, yeah, as you said, a very bizarre set of rules. Four point, Sorry, three points for a win, two points for a draw, no points for a defeat, and then an extra one point if you win a penalty shootout, which wasn't necessary in the first place. So bottom after one game with zero points, four off the leaders now. That's good. Yeah, that's an exciting place to be in. Yeah. Um, Arsenal defeated Leon recently in the same competition. And they also, I believe, won the penalty shootout. They did. Um, they won 2-1 on a penalty shootout, which just sounds like a great time for everybody. Mm. Um, at least we managed to score three of our four penalties, so we'll take some solace in that. All being all, it, it, the only thing that matters is it's minutes in the legs. And that is really the be-all and end-all of this whole competition. Like, we're not there to try and win silverware. We're there to try and get players fit. And Are you saying that winning the Dubai Super Cup would not need a change to our wall of honour or whatever it's called? No. I'm suggesting that maybe we should do away with the wall of honour and just build a massive Dubai Super Cup mural and kind of make that the focus of the club moving forward, that we just retain that competition the next time there's a Winter World Cup on or wherever it's played next. Build a, a room shaped in the same dimensions as the trophy. Yeah, and we'll we'll, we'll call it the Ben Doak Room. There you go. Um, you're right, I, I, I didn't watch this game live. I watched it last night because I knew we were going to talk about it today and I will be honest, I skipped through large, large portions of it. But he did look very bright and very lively. Um, and Dominic Cornus, you mentioned as well. I wasn't aware of him. That's the first time I've actually seen him play. But he certainly looks like a tidy midfield player. Um, a little bit disappointed to see Ramsey miss his penalty. Not, not to criticise the kid, but for him more than anything. Uh, I had hoped he'd start. That was when I saw the eleven. That was my big disappointment. Was that he wasn't starting? My assumption is it was because. Klopp has to have Milner or Henderson or, you know, somebody like that in the team because reasons. But I don't understand why Ramsey didn't start unless it was a case that they just didn't think he could play from the start of the game. Yeah, I'm not really sure. Um, I thought there were a couple of reasons to wonder about the start in 11. It did look a bit first 
group of players and second group of players, and it's fine. But then he's already said that he's going to mix things up for across the two matches anyway. So I thought it might have been a bit more mixed this time. Uh, not not the end of the world. I thought Ramsey did all right when he came on going forward, nearly scored uh, with a shot that he sort of cut in field past someone and had a go towards the far post. Keeper saved it. I think a goal kick got given, actually, if I remember rightly. Um, it was a definite save, though. But then off one of their goals, probably he was caught a little bit uh, unaware positionally. So maybe it's nothing to read into it whatsoever, other than he still thinks that there's work to be done on him before he can really consider him a starter at this level. But, you know, he's a friendly. So hopefully he'll get a few more minutes in the next game and we'll see a little bit more of what he's about because I guess we're going to need him across the uh, sort of the January period in at least two or three games between the time that we start and, let's say, the end of January. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, that does seem that does seem to be the case. Um, uh, look, there's, there's, the whole purpose of this is just to get the lads up to speed because, well, they weren't up to speed in the first half of the season. Now, obviously, the problem you have is that seven important players have taken no real part in this because they've been off at the World Cup. But there's no doubt that the squad wasn't right, that pre-season didn't go as well as it should have gone. That it didn't go the way it normally goes. Whether the players were overtrained or undertrained, I don't know. But they certainly weren't ready to go at the start of the season. And this break, the whole purpose of this has got to be rectifying that and getting them up to speed and getting them getting the intensity back yeah. because that's it was just so sorely lacking the last time we saw any intensity was when Pep and Linders released his book and I'm not having a pop at him at all before anyone starts crying about it I'm just saying th- there has been no intensity in this season at all which is just amusing considering that's the title of his book um let's talk about the injuries quickly Harvey goes off. We'll just have to keep our fingers crossed that that is merely a precaution, that he felt a bit of tightness or something and they decided not to take any risks. But we have had bad news coming out of this training camp in the form of Luis Diaz, who has had to have surgery on his knee. It's the same knee he hurt against Arsenal, but apparently it's not the same injury. Hmm. Apparently this is the outside of the knee rather than the inside of the knee, which he hurt against Arsenal. The Is it the LCL rather than the MCL? So, I mean, I suppose in that regard, it's maybe not too bad that, you know, 
if it was the same injury and we were looking at a situation where he'd been told, oh, you don't need surgery, just rest and you'll be fine. And two months later, he was then told, no, you're going to actually have to have surgery and is now going to miss three months. Then you'd be pissed. But if it's a different injury and it's just something else that's happened, then so be it. Um, but losing him until March, Carl, that does feel very, very significant. Yeah, definitely so. Um, I mean, we we missed him, no question about that. We missed him um, after he was out in the first half of the season. He was one of the few who was playing with like real fire and intensity and drive and everything else. So it was a big blow to to lose him. And obviously, I think there was a little bit made once news broke that he had gone down again last week um, about. You know, the club had decided no surgery was needed and blah, blah, blah. And in the end, that's actually not really, I'm not going to say not relevant because I don't know if it's not relevant, but it's certainly not the absolute case because, like you say, it is a an additional injury. I think we we refer here to Dr. Rajpal Bra, who is a, a notable tweeter, um, very good with knee, ankle, any of that kind of injuries. He sort of described it that it was... Uh, the LCL that he had done first time, and this time it seems like it'll be the MCL, as you say. So the, the bad thing for Liverpool is obviously that we started off this season with more players of a similar level, but fewer players overall in that attacking line. So we went with five, basically, uh, seniors after Origi and Minamino have gone and all that. So we've then had to rely on Carvalho coming in, but with Diaz out, with Jota still not anywhere near back, down to three and using three of them every game is not feasible. That's the brutal truth of the matter. So either Carvalho steps up and is a lot better than he was in the first half of the season, which Mm. I don't think we can expect because he's still very, very young. He's still learning not just what Liverpool want, but how he and the talent that he has fits into a, a senior setup with those levels of demands. Or you have to go and find somebody who can come into the club, even if that's short term, because it's just not feasible to expect the same three players again to play every single game again between December and what March at least before Jota is back to full fitness. You know, if he's if he's back and training by mid February, he's not going to be really ready for <clears throat> excuse me for for reliable minutes. Let's say until into March. So it's it's just too many games to be perfectly honest. Um, so it's again either someone out of position, like Jones out on the left hand side again, or something like that. It's it's not feasible just to start Nunez left, Bobby through the middle, Mo right, and then just do that every single game. No, and it's a complete waste of Bobby to do that as well. I do wonder if we might look at bringing somebody in, even like you say, somebody that's not necessarily. Um, an A-list option, but somebody that could be affordable or, you know, just available on loan or something. Um, Loans obviously haven't worked out well for us in the last few years, so we might avoid that. But I'm looking at left-wingers who are out of contract in the summer, and Leandro Trossard is the name that kind of jumps out, but Brighton do have an option to extend his contract for a year, so you'd imagine they will do that. Uh, Marcus Rashford is in the same situation. He wouldn't join us anyway. There is there is Wilf Zaha who have floated before and been shot down, but I'd, I'd still put his name forward. Um, the other one though that that strikes me as an interesting piece, and he's not a typical left winger, but he has played a lot of football there, 
is Marcus Turan. Now, he's having a good season for Gladbach, but he is playing a bit more centrally. But I do wonder if he could maybe be a short-term fix on the left and then replaces Bobby as sort of the backup to Darwin moving forward. Would that be something that you think we could look at? Yeah, I mean, whether or not it's the specific name, I think the the the, the theory behind it, you know, the, the the idea of a succession plan who can play somewhere now and somewhere later is not the worst thing at all for us to be doing right now. Um, I mean, there are other names out there that I could throw out, like the Mateus Cunha, for example. It looks pretty much set, like he's going to leave Atletico Madrid. Yeah. He fits from the sides for Liverpool. He fits as a, a Firmino replacement longer term through the middle for Liverpool. He can play when we go to a 43-1 in the 10 role for us. You know, he, he fits a lot of positional boxes, let's say. So there mm. are plenty of people out there who would be in that bracket of not really playing for their team, have shown that they can be good and maybe we can take them up another little bit. Um, and maybe the, the negotiation for them is, is easy enough because either they're out of favour or soon to be out of contract or anything like that. So there is always a solution in the market. It's obviously not always easy to get it done. We know that. And sometimes it just doesn't appear to be what the club wants to do. Uh, I personally st- still see more value in doing something like this than trying to do the very late loan deals or something like that. The only other thing that I would say you 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 have the choice of doing is to go and find a very good young player. But since in this specific situation, we've already got at least three or four of them who fit that bill in that position or that area of the team. I'm not really sure that's the best option for us either. No, I agree because, I mean, unless they're a real standout and, a, and an actual out-and-out left winger, is there any real point, you know, if they're just going to be another player, say like a Carvalho, that we're, it's kind of a, a square peg in a round hole to stick him left wing, um, then I, I don't really see that there's any benefit in us doing that. I do wonder if Jürgen might look at some of the younger lads at the club, like a Fraundorf or in particular Ben Doak. I know he's a child, I know he's 16, but do you think there's a possibility we see him get a couple of starts just because? Like if, if our focus in January is going to be on getting a midfielder or two in, which does seem to be what we're looking at, could it be that, say, maybe Harvey Elliott finds himself playing left wing and maybe Ben Doak is the rotation option? I mean, it might have to be, to be honest. There might come a point when we have to be looking at these players getting quite decent amounts of minutes. I'm not sure he would be like a rotation as such because you're probably looking at Carvalho, Jones and Harvey Elliott all being options to be that rotation between them for one position. Um, but, you know, Doak, he's not afraid of playing the young kids. He's not afraid of putting them in if they're really showing up the seniors in training or have moved ahead of one of the other kids who has previously been in line. Um, you think of Kate Gordon, for example. He made his way basically to the fringes of the squad, playing pretty well. Mm. Uh, came on a couple of times. He's obviously been out for a long time, injured now, but he's now just about getting back to, to training. He's not in full training yet, but he's back out on the grass, that sort of thing. So over the next, again, let's look at the two months, which are between uh, Liverpool returning and Diogo Jota coming back to fitness, let's say. There's there's loads of games there to be played. I think we've got seven before the end of January and maybe an eighth if we go through to the next round of the FA Cup. So we're going to have to change the team around plenty, even if we do bring in another midfielder 
I don't necessarily think that with the exception of Oxlade Chamberlain, who you know, we've already seen in the attacking line, and we know what we're getting with him, and it's not always exactly what we want from him. Um, I don't think bringing in a midfielder frees up anybody else to play in that forward line. So it would be just Harvey Elliott moves back out there or back into the attacking line, let's say. I think we're quite fortunate that Darwin obviously has got decent experience, let's say, playing out on the left, and I think he's going to be looking to get used to that over the next two months at the very least. Um, he should be involved against AC Milan, I guess, so it might be quite telling if he does start uh, and play in that role as well. I, I don't like him left wing, I have to be honest. Of the of the players that you've mentioned, like I, I quite like Curtis on the left wing. Now, he's not a left winger, he's going to He's going to come narrow and he's going to play out to in. But I, I do quite like Curtis in that role. Um, I certainly like him more left wing than I do left side of midfield. Uh, yes, I can hear the helicopter behind you, by the way, which is good. Um, I, I'd like... I. I it's just it's the lack of pace because with with Diaz and with with Jota when he's the one there I mean they have that that pace that outball that ability to stretch the play um these other players don't really have that and it's just I think it's something we do lack Darwin has the pace but not necessarily the technique to play out there yeah I, I look we could well see Jurgen just go you know what I don't have the players to play 4-3-3. We're going 4-4-2 again. And yeah. we're going to have to go and be as tight and as compact and as gnarly as possible. And Harvey, you're going to play left wing and all you're going to do is get the ball and cross it. Or Costas, you're playing left wing. You're going to have to just do a job in front of Robbo. And we're going to be really, really hard to break down. And we're going to win a bunch of games 1-0. We're going to put the faith in Mo and Darwin and our set pieces, and we're going to win games 1-0. And that's probably the best thing we could do is just become a team that's really tough to beat again because that's that's what we were when we won the league and we won the Champions League. We won it based on being impossible to beat. Like, yeah. we struggled going forward at times. We, 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 we were doing roles at the time and talking about what a slog a lot of those games were. But at the same time, we were in incredibly good defensively. We were so strong and so compact. And Ginny was such a key to that. And without him, you do kind of feel like maybe going to a 4-4-2 might just be a better option in the short term. I mean, like a lot of the, the late games before we, we sort of stopped were very 4-4-2 diamond. In like, mm. we, we went back to 4-3-3, obviously, for the last few games. But even then, it was very, very noticeably with Bobby Deep with um, Darwin at times really wide and the other times very narrow and it was more or less a two up front so it's it's not it's not like we can't play the same players and have a slightly different shape which allows obviously Firmino to come out of the team and someone else be that number 10 to do a bit of a different um, progression or build up play or anything like that we can have a bit more power behind or a bit more ball control behind someone like Curtis Jones, who was a bit more creative behind something like that. So we've got options without changing too much in terms of that midfield structure. We can still have that three, which is really compact and still really difficult to bypass as long as they're doing their job, obviously. Um, so I, I think we're okay 
not great, but okay to, to be able to cope with just the two if we're sensible about it. I just don't think it would be very sensible to try and start them game after game after game. Like Darwin will be back now. Like I said, um, he, he's in training now, effectively. Mm. So he should be part of that team which plays Milan, or if not, then at least starts the competitive games next week. Yeah, so it's Milan on Friday, and like you mentioned earlier, I'd like to see Jurgen shake the team a little bit and not have it so that it's, you know, an A team and a B team. I'd rather have it as sort of two B-plus teams, if you will, mm. where maybe the you split Joe and Joel up, so one of them starts and one of them comes on at half time. Maybe you play... Mo and Bobby in different halves. Um, Tiago plays one of the halves and whatever. And that it is more of a mix because ultimately, like these games don't matter. Like they don't matter at all. And and when when someone tells you, look, regardless of the scoreline, there's going to be a penalty shootout afterwards. Yeah. You're just like, oh, this is ridiculous. Like so, like I'd rather just see. I'd rather see say. Um, Besetic and Thiago play with, you know, say Joe Gomez and Charles Kwanzaa behind them and Costas at left back and Ramsey at right back. And then the other team has Milner, Nash, Joel and Robbo with whatever combination in midfield. And Bobby leads the attack, like something like that, because at least then it's everybody's getting more of it. Like, I felt I felt a little bit sorry for some of the young players in the second half in in the Leon game because there was no I know but I know Naby was there and Ox was there but their purpose in that game was clearly to get themselves back to fitness it wasn't to try and win a game of football and a lot of the young players just looked like they were looking around for somebody senior to give them a little bit of guidance and, you know, advise just a little bit, like drop two yards, push forward, whatever it was, you know, shift out, tackle him, blah, blah. They were looking for somebody to just give them a little bit of guidance. And it wasn't there because it was such a young team. And the two or three more senior lads, they had other purposes in their in their minutes. And I mean, like nobody's getting inspiration from Adrian. God bless them. He's meant to be an absolute diamond of a fella, but nobody's getting great inspiration from him. So yeah, I mean that's that's what I'd like to see in the um, in the Milan game. Would you be in favour of that, or, or or do you think he'll go with something similar to what he did against against Leon? I, I wouldn't be averse to mixing it up a bit. No, not at all. Um, the only thing I would say is I would expect that we might give a few more minutes to a few more players this time. So maybe you know people like Thiago and Matip or Oxley Chamberlain or whoever start getting maybe a full hour um, if we. If we think that we're going to be doing the normal pre-season plan in mid-season of building us up before we go into the 90s, then it sort of stands to reason that they try and get an hour of football, especially for some of them guys who came back and played the first game. Maybe not Cater because he only came on second half. Maybe he's only going to do a half this time. Um, so that's that's still fine in the same sort of plan. But you know, if you're going to play, let's say if you're going to play Matip for an hour, maybe try and get part of that game alongside one of the youngsters so that they don't come on and it's just with Adrian and Nat Phillips or something like that. Um, at the very least, so that they can have part of that action next to someone who it matters for, next to someone who it has to be 
about showing that he can you know, get back into the team, show his full fitness and all the rest of it, because it, it does benefit them, obviously, in the long term. And, you know, the coaches know that. There's no question about that. But it is just about other priorities at the minute. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. And look, again, that game is largely irrelevant. It's just, it's a fitness exercise. The game that will matter in some way takes place the following Thursday when Liverpool take on Manchester City in the EFL Cup round of 16. Do you see this as a game in which Jurgen potentially goes with a full strength or close to full strength 11 to try and build rhythm ahead of the Premier League returning on the 26th. That is exactly what I think. <clears throat> I think we've had a couple of occasions where we come back and there's a, you know, after a break and it's a cup match or whatever, and he plays basically a more full strength side than you would expect because he wants them fully cooking basically for the next league game. Uh, so I would think that that would be the case here again. It's not because it's Man City. It's not because, you know, we're the reigning champions or whatever and want to defend our trophy or something like that. I think it would just be about getting people so that they are firing for that Aston Villa match. Because let's be honest, I don't know about any of you guys, but I've not even looked at the league table. So we're going to do that right now. I haven't looked at the league table since the Premier League stopped. We've got ground to make up is the only thing that I know there. So we're sixth and we are seven points off Tottenham. Yeah. With the game in hand. Yeah. So, I mean, I actually, in my head, it was worse than that, to be fair. So, um, I, I, th I think I'm a little bit relieved it's not more than that. But we don't have any time to waste here. And Aston Villa, as we know, are going to have been working with a new manager now who's obviously going to have put quite a few of his dreadful, dreadful ideas in place <laughs> for boring the living shit out of the Premier League. Um, he's at home, though. That means a, a standard 1-0 win. So, we've got to break down that sort of piece of magic. Um, they're a team who, just like us, want improvements big time, very, very mm. quickly. They're a team like us who are tipped to go straight into the market in January. You have to be basically right on it. And after that, we got Leicester, who earlier on this season might have been a walkover for us, but Leicester were probably maybe the third most informed team before the, the league stopped. Yes. Arsenal and City, maybe. Uh, Newcastle, maybe. They were in really good form. Arsenal, Arsenal, it, was, it was Newcastle. Arsenal and Leicester were the top three in the forum guide over the last five games. There you go. So, I mean, I don't think that you can just take form and continue it because obviously it's been a long break. But the point is that they'll be a lot more confident than they would have been three months ago. You know, So we, we don't have any time to waste here. So I think it is absolutely as close to full strength as you're able to against City. And then basically, I would expect it to be largely the same team again against Aston Villa then four days later. Yeah, so my assumption is that the players that went to the knockout phases of the World Cup will not be involved in either of the first two games being City and Villa and maybe come back in for the Leicester game. Or not, not all of them, but maybe some of them come back in for the Leicester game. So I'm guessing Cuevin Kelleher starts in goal. Uh, Robbo is obviously fine. I think Joel and Joel, Joe and Joel, will be the centre backs. Yeah. Who's the right back though? Does he go Milner, or does he do the correct thing and go with the actual right back in Calvin Ramsey? 
I, I would be inclined to start Ramsey here. We need to find out what level he's at as well. Um, so it's, I, I want to win the cup games. I always like winning the cup games, but there are more important things to, to worry about. So I think that one, we've signed him for a reason. Obviously, they think he's ready now. And I, I suspect he would have played a bit more had he not obviously been injured. So it's a cup game. Let's find out where he is. Assuming he's been good in training, then yes, I would say we go with Ramsey. Also, those players who went out at the course final stage, so that'd be Henderson, Trent, Allison, And Virgil. Vino and Virgil. Yeah, that's right. So five of them. I think that they're fine for the first league game. They, they'll have a week off, but that'll be done before the Man City game. So I guess they could either be on the bench for that if they're needed or just wait and come back for the, the first league match. I remember Virgil saying, though, that they were hoping to have some time off or that Jürgen had told them they'd have some time off. Yeah, perhaps they get more than, yeah. So, yeah, it just, I, I, it just I suppose, depends. Look, they, they, some of them might come back foaming at them out to play. Yeah. Trent probably will because he barely kicked a ball at the World Cup. Yeah. Whereas Henderson played three straight starts in a short period of time, which he hasn't been doing for us. And it, it will probably, and he looked goosed by the end of the France game, like when, when he was taken off. Um, Ali, he, you know, he might want to just come straight back in. Fab didn't, didn't barely feature. I don't even did he feature at all. Did he come on once? Yeah, he came on once. In the, once he, so. he, started, he started the third group game, was it? Oh, he did. He started the third group game against um, Cameroon. Yeah. Um, so he might be he might be okay to play, but like Virgil played every minute of every game, so he might just need a little bit longer. Um, so in midfield, the options aren't great. If if Harvey has some sort of a niggle that they want to be careful of, he might not be an option. I think there's a strong possibility that Curtis might have some sort of a niggly situation going on. Yeah. Um, so he might not be an option. Do we go Thiago? Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Milner maybe as the six rather than playing a kid in Besetich there and maybe it's Nabi or Ox as the other eight I am going to say I reckon as, as long as they haven't been given the extra time off which given his World Cup situation I don't think he will have I wonder if Fabinho plays this game because I think excuse me I think it's quite important we find out what Fabinho we're getting for the second yeah. half of the season. Yeah, very and, much so. And we've already made the point, like, sometimes after he's been out injured or whatever, it takes him, like, oh, maybe three, three games to get back. After, like, <laughs> he's he's fucking dreadful when he's had a break. <laughs> yeah. So I, I wonder whether we might use this one as a, like, 
can we get that out the way, please, and see where he is? I think that I don't. I wouldn't say it would go so far as to shape our January plans, but I think it might solidify them. Let's yeah. Say. Yeah, if he comes back and looks like he's running in treacle again, then perhaps uh, <laughs> it, it ups the uh, the demand to get get somebody in in that role. Um, if if he plays, then I assume it's it's Milner Fabinho. Yeah. See, what we could do is we could go four four two and play Milner as the right sided midfielder in front of Ramsey, yeah. and then you give Ramsey that bit of protection. Fabinho and Thiago as a two, and then whoever plays left wing, be it Darwin or be it Carvalho, and then Mo plus Bobby or Darwin up front, depending on whether Darwin's playing left wing. See, that wouldn't surprise me, because then you get to see what Ramsey can offer. You give give Ramsey a bit of license to go forward, and you just say to Milner, just kick anybody that comes down that wing. Just, just, Just be a concrete block, a bollard. You are the bollard, Mr. Milner. That's all you need to do. And if you see Ramsey running past you, then just, you know, drop five yards. Yeah, I think that that would be a very sensible, even if it's a 4-3-3 in possession, 4-4-2 out of possession mm. sort of switch up. I think that that, I think that works quite well, to be honest. And I suppose the other part of the equation is to think that Man City, I suppose they're going to have Mares from their regular attack, but is that it, Haaland? Mares. So I'm looking at the squad now, right? So Kyle Walker, he's unlikely to play, I think. I think Diaz is unlikely to play, having played every every minute of the World Cup bar the South Korea game. Calvin Phillips, maybe he plays because he didn't didn't play a whole lot at the World Cup. Yeah, Phillips, I'd expect to if they're back after the week. Stones, I don't think will play. And Foden's uh, maybe. Foden's, I think, unlikely. Because I think he'll want to be a bit more careful with him. But I think Grealish could play. So it wouldn't surprise me if we see a Mares, Haaland, Grealish front three. Yeah. And because De Grealish. Because he went out at the group stage. Who, sorry? De Bruyne. De Bruyne, yeah. And, and he's probably going to be like really, really wound up to play because they had such a disastrous World Cup. So you could see. And, and so did Gundogan. Gundogan went out in the group stage as well. So you could see De Bruyne. Phillips and Gundogan as a midfield three, yeah, which is pretty strong. Let's be fair. Uh, no Rodri, I don't think. Um, I don't think Laporte will play either. So at the back, you're probably looking at Sergio Gomez. Sergio Gomez at left back. Um, Rico Lewis maybe. He's Rico back. Lewis right back, and then a Kanji and maybe a youngster at centre back. Maybe they just play one of their kids. Maybe yeah. Um, Josh Wilson Esbrand or somebody like that. I don't actually know what his position is. He could be a fullback for all I know. But um, yeah, he's probably a fullback. He's 5'9". Um, but yeah, they, they might play a kid at, at centre-back with a Kanji um, with with Rico Lewis and, and Sergio Gomez as the fullbacks, and then Stefan Ortega in goal. Um, there's also the possibility that he plays Cole Palmer in midfield instead of KDB or, or Gundogan. Yeah. Um. He he does seem quite like him, and he looks a talented player. It must be said, but they'll be missing more players than us because they had a lot more players at the World Cup, and 
yeah, I think some of the group stage exit lads like a Kanji, like De Bruyne, like Gundogan might play. But then their age might count against them. They are 31, 32, and he might not want to um, to risk them. You know, the chance they might get hurt and then end up out for three months or something could be could be a bit much for Pep. I think um, they'll be the same as us, want to get them cooking before the league game. The thing is, though, like with 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 Gundogan in particular, it doesn't matter. Like you could drop him in out having not played for six months and he's going to be fine because that's just the type of player he is. KDB though I do think needs a bit of rhythm and he definitely didn't have it at the World Cup. No. So yeah, he's he maybe he starts in midfield with Calvin Phillips and Cole Palmer and that's what we see. Um, and like I said, I wouldn't be at all surprised if Grealish started left wing his, because he'd know World Cup really. Yeah, and De Bruyne's last game I remember was first of. Uh, December, so it's like yeah. three weeks be- between matches. So he will absolutely play this one. Yeah, he'll want he'll want to anyway. Um, so yeah, th- they'll be fairly strong. Yeah. Um, I think we'll be a bit stronger in terms of the starting eleven, but it should be a decent game. I mean, I I don't really care for the outcome. It it it's again largely irrelevant to me because the only thing that matters now is securing top four and having as good a run as possible in the Champions League. The title is gone, and having won the domestic cups last year, I don't really care now. You can bin them off and just focus on the other two. Yeah, they're, they're the absolute priority, and I would even... I like a cup run, and I wouldn't mind going you know, quite deep into one, but I would rather get our form and way we're playing sorted out first, so... I'm not going to cry at all if we if we are out of this. Hopefully we win just for the winning factor, for the beating Man City factor, for the confidence factor and all of that. But if there was a way for us to win and then also get thrown out of the competition for fielding an ineligible player, I'd probably take that option. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe we could, after Someone... the win, maybe the team just collect- collectively gives the referee a wedgie or something and they throw us out for misbehaviour. Yeah, that'll do. So, something along those lines. Um, but yeah, I mean, I look, we could just win the game, and when the 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 next round comes up, we just get an out dose of like chronic diarrhea or something, and nobody can play, so we just have to forfeit. Yeah. Um, that'll be the Ben Doak game. Stick. <laughs> I I like if, I, I like a cup run as well. I'll be honest, I do like a cup run. I prefer an FA Cup run because it's more important, but. If you're going to have a cup run and you want to get top four and challenge for the title, then a league cup run is probably better given it's over earlier. And it's like, because the FA Cup obviously goes right to the end of the season and can be a bit of a distraction. I think it was a bit last season. Whereas the league cup, I'm not sure when the final is this year. Is it in March? Is it back to February? Is it March? I'm not 100% certain. Sunday the 26th of February. Yeah. So, I mean, it's over then and you've still got three months left in the season. Yeah. So, and, 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 am I right in thinking that's Europa League and not Europa Conference League? We can avoid embarrassment. I think it is Europa League. I think you're right. Pretty sure it is, isn't it? Who, well, we won, we won it last year, so nobody got a spot last year. Um, I mean, I'd like it to not come down to that at the end, but, you know, just in case. I, I'd rather have no Europe than either Europa League or Europa Conference League because oh guy is guy is breaking our hearts here. Oh, my God. oh no it's the Conference League. It's the Conference League. Oh sod that then. No, let's get out. 
Let's get ourselves binned out. Let's just... What we do is we just put two goals through our own net early. Yeah. And then try and win the rest of the game 1-0. So in our heads, we've won the game. We've just gifted them uh, advancement to the next round. So yeah, fourth round. The quarterfinals are in early January, I think just after the FA Cup begins, or the, the third round of the FA Cup. The semifinals are the end of January, and against the two-legged nonsense. And then the final is the 26th of February, yeah. Who else is in it? Here's the question. Yeah, I don't think we want the um, the semifinals and all of that sort of stuff, do we? Let's be so honest. You've got MK Dons, you've got Leicester. Leicester should win that. You've got Wolves and Gillingham. Wolves should win that. Forest and Blackburn. I actually think Blackburn should win that because they're at home. Um, Charlton against Brighton. Brighton should win that. Southampton and Lincoln. Southampton should win that. Toon and Bournemouth. Toon should win that. And then United and Burnley. Um, it's a bit of a coin toss, but you'd say United should win that. Real- <laughs> re- realistically, if we win this... Like, we should win the competition. Whoever wins this tie should go on and win the competition. The biggest test, I think, will be Newcastle. Yeah, no question. This is like a, actually looking at it now, is a massive, massive chance for Newcastle to end that, what is it, 340 years or something? since? Oh, at least. At least. least. Um, God's dog was a puppy when, when they, when did they last win something? Right, their last trophy... The last league title was 1927, so so they're you know rapidly approaching the hundred years. Their last FA Cup was 1955. There you go, 55. And they've never won the League Cup. Um, they won the Charity Shield in 1907, so congrats on your friendly. And they won the often forgotten and rightly so Sheriff of London Charity Shield. In 1907, you know your club hasn't had a whole lot of success when your Wikipedia is lift, listing the, the Sheriff of London Charity Shield and not in, like, that's in domestic honours, not in other honours. And that's not even the Sheriff of Nottingham Shield. It's, it's no. a minor sheriff. That's it, the secondary sheriff, some some yeah. fruitcake. Um, they did win the Intertoto Cup in 2006. So did six other teams. Which... <laughs> What a competition. Bring back the Intertoto Cup, I say. Um, they won the, the Intercity Fairs Cup in 1969, another, a competition that nobody can explain to me. Um, they won the Texaco Cup twice, which involved teams from England, Scotland, and Ireland. So England and Scotland. They won that in 74 and 75. And then... I think one of the great lost cups in football. Is this in the data systems? No, no, not not to that level. That is the great lost tournament. The Anglo-Italian Cup. Oh, yeah. You can't beat the Anglo-Italian Cup. This was magnificent stuff. Uh, winners Swindon, Blackpool, Roma, Newcastle, Monza, Lecho, Udinese, Sutton United. <laughs> Uh, Triestina, Modena, uh, Modena again. So it started out, it looks like, with, you know, relatively decent teams, and then it just kind of became more of a non-league type of... Oh, yeah, so it was, there was a professional era of it, which was just four years, and then they did a semi-professional. 
Do you know what they should do with this? Make it the European Super League? No. Well, yeah. But what if they did a cup competition where the second divisions of all the teams in this in the championship, Serie B, and the Secunda division, and maybe you, you nab the second Bundesliga as well, and even you know League, League Two in France and whatever the second division is in in Portugal, and you were to make a cup between those clubs, I think that could be quite fun, and it would be a great experience for those clubs and for the fans of those clubs if they got on away, like. Because there's certain clubs, obviously, in the championship that are never going to get an away game in Europe because they're just not going to qualify for Europe. But like, it'd be some crack if they got to go and play, I don't know, Sporting Hihon or something, or whoever. Kievo. That'd be fun. Basically, we need to get rid of the Carabao Cup at this stage at any cost. Yeah. Yeah, what, like... Could, I, I think that is because a lot of clo- a lot of countries have done away with their uh, version of the League Cup. Yeah, France were the last ones to do it. Now it's just England, right? So what if we? What if something like that took place? Well, I mean, you're still giving more games to teams, then, aren't you? But to but to to lo- like you're not involving the Premier League. No, and- no, I'm not talking about the Premier League. Even the even the you know the Championship clubs themselves, they play more games already than the Premier League do. They do, and they play more games than the likes of Serie B and stuff. That is true. That is true. They do not play 46 games, in fairness. Like, it's a lot of football. I don't know. I think something like that could be quite fun. Even if it would... Fuck it. Like, even if it was... One-off. It's an annual thing, but if you could do it every... Every four years or something. Yeah, yeah. It, it just could be fun, like it, you know. We have to have another podcast where we come up with loads of different cup competitions we could do. And you'd need to name it after some like obscure player that played in all the leagues, like I in know. all the countries, like yeah. the Florian Radicheo Cup or something like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I think I've solved football once again. My work here is done. Um, let's talk about more cheery things. Let's talk about transfers. There have been reports from Portugal and from Argentina, and allegedly the journalists in Argentina who are reporting this are very reliable, that Liverpool have agreed with player and agent a pre-contract type of deal for Enzo Fernandes. That Liverpool would be prepared to pay his buyout clause or something close to it. Now, obviously, we know <clears throat> that target one is Jude. Yes. But we also know that in the summer, we very much tried to, or before the summer, we very much tried to buy Aurelian Chuameni. And the plan does appear to have been Chuameni last summer, Jude next summer which would suggest that there was the money for both of them or that they believed they could pay for both of them. Now, I was looking at this and maybe thinking, could we perhaps agree deals where maybe we play a little bit more than we'd like to, but we get more favourable payment terms where we can spread the cost of the deals out over four or five years? Basically what we did for Diogo Jota, where you pay a smaller amount up front, but in the, in this case, we could pay a bigger amount up front and then spread those annual payments out over five years 
so that we're not having a massive hit every summer or we're not having to pay back 200 million in three years. Instead, we pay it back over five years. Well, we're certainly going to have to do something. And I think, first and foremost, that um, relies on us getting in the top four, not any of these other Anglo-Saxon, Anglo-Italian, Zenithate systems competitions and equivalents of the modern day. Um, Because that's where the money is, let's be honest. We have to get top four. Um, I I know that you want to let yourself get really carried away by this Enzo Fernandez talk. I, on the other hand, at the minute, am still simply annoyed that we keep doing this, letting him go somewhere else first and then pay more money for the same player because we want to see how they adjust to a higher standard league, how the data um, translates from one league to another and can they keep up that performance level and make themselves better, surrounded by better players in a better league, blah, blah, blah. This frustrates me. It really does. I'm sure it benefits the club overall but sometimes I think that you can see a player is good or isn't good or will be really good or that there's something you can work for them and I'm not honestly sure that in every single case the waiting and the double checking is worth a four times inflated fee. No it frustrates the life out of me as well because he was available in the summer for 18 million and when you see 18 million euro, I should point out, not not 18 million pounds. Uh, when you see the fact that City jumped on Julian Alvarez from the same club in January, and anyone that watched River when the two of them were in the team could tell Julian Alvarez is a good player, and he could become a very good player. But this this kid in midfield could be great. And why it is that City, who play in the same league as us, could go and buy one. And we decided, no, it's too big of a risk to go and buy the other. Like, that really winds me up. I'd, I'd love to see us be braver. Now, we're obviously in the midst of potentially being sold. And one of the teams being, or one of the groups being mentioned as potential owners is the Josh Harris, David Blitzer um, group, which I think is a good option for us. I know some people are against the idea of more American owners, but then you've got people who are just flat out lying about who these people are, about what their way of buying the club would be, about, you know, oh, they'd have to leverage to buy it. No, they wouldn't. No, they wouldn't. They've got massive, massive money behind them through Blackstone and Apollo Global. They've got enormous wealth behind them. They would not need to leverage anything. They themselves, in their bank accounts, might not have the money. They have the money. In the same way that Todd Bowley didn't have the money to buy Chelsea, but Clear Lake did, this would be like that. But Harrison Blitzer would bring with them a multi-club model because David Blitzer owns six other clubs. And if we had that situation where we had other clubs... Couldn't you buy Enzo Fernandez or Moises Caicedo for four and a half million and say, right, here's the deal. You join us. You're going to go on loan for a year to this club and you're going to develop there and then you're going to come to us. Like, this is the benefit of the multi-club model. Obviously, City haven't done it with Alvarez, 
but they've done it with a lot of the other players that they've brought in, the other young players they've brought in from around the globe. They buy, they buy them, they station them at one of these other clubs, and they watch them develop, and then when they're at the point to come back, they'll bring them back. Yeah, and you don't even have to do it that way around all the time, either the you know, RB... No, Enzo would have been fine to come in and start straight away. Yeah, but I mean, like, a lot of the time, if you look at people going from Ragatino to Salzburg or Salzburg to Leipzig or anything like that, they actually buy them outright, and then the, the first club makes the profit from the second club, obviously at a much, much reduced rate that you would normally see sort of thing, so you wouldn't get the 120 million from selling him to Dortmund if he sold him to Leipzig, for example, that deal would have gone through at a third of the price or something like that. And then Dortmund still would have, or somebody else still would have bought him off Leipzig if that's the way the Haaland route had gone. So if there is a multi-deal, you don't even have to buy them for Liverpool for 18. You can still spend 25 on them and that first club still gets their cut, you know, their profit mm. anyway. But there's there's different ways to do it. It doesn't really matter as long as you're not just waiting. If you have the player in your control somewhere along your path, at least you don't have to pay, like I say, three, four times over the odds. I mean, his release cost at the minute is, what, 120 million euro? Yeah. No, we're not paying that. We're not paying that for Enzo Fernandez. I'll tell you that now. Uh, it's just not going to happen. So it's either a negotiation down in the more sort of 60, 70 maybe region. Maybe I could see us doing something like 65 rising to 85, a similar deal to what we did for Darwin. Yeah, maybe so. Um, I think that it's quite tricky to judge at the minute what Liverpool are capable of doing and what Liverpool want to do because sometimes we seem like we're very reluctant to do too much work and sometimes then we'll just go out and do one deal which I think is like even more money than was necessary to be perfectly honest, like the Darwin deal. I don't don't necessarily think we needed to spend that much on him, but there you go. Um, or on that position, I should say, or that, that specific level that he came in at so it's a tricky one to balance especially with the the potential sales situation like you say um the only absolutes that we have here are that we do need to sign two i think we need three overall you're being greedy greedy. i'm not being greedy i'm not being greedy carl i'm not we needed one last last season we did we needed two this season Next season, we will need three. Milner's going. Naby's going. Oxlade-Chamberlain is going. And Jordan Henderson is going to be a year older and a year worse. And he has been an abomination for 18 months in a Liverpool shirt. So you could argue we need four, but we need three. We need one in each of the midfield roles because we clearly need a starter in that right-sided role. Because Henderson isn't it, never has been in that role. And Harvey Elliott, damn sure, isn't the right option. We need somebody that can come in and spell Fabinho. And we need somebody that can be the alternative to Thiago. Because when he's not there, our team is an absolute shit show. And that player has been Naby, but Naby himself has had major injury problems. Last season, when we had both of them largely fit for most of the season... Look how close we came to winning everything. So I'd be looking at let's let's just let me run this by you as an example of what where my thinking is, right? Let's say we can buy Jude Bellingham and he's the starting right sided midfielder. 
I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac, and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes, and games consoles. Visit LibertyShield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. So, let's say on average Liverpool play 60 games. So let's say Jude starts 46 to 48 games. And Jordan Henderson starts 12 to 14 and then makes a bunch of sub-appearances. You loan Curtis Jones out for a year to let him get minutes. And then when he comes back, a more developed player, he replaces Henderson as the backup slash alternative to Jude. And that's that one position finished. Lockdown. Don't need to worry about that position for years. Let's say we get Enzo Fernandez. And let's say on the left side, he starts 40 games. Thiago starts 20 games. You div- you sign Thiago to an extension for a couple of years and you manage him carefully moving forward. And let's say we keep Tyler Morton out on loan. And he develops into a player that we feel we can trust long-term as an alternative or backup to Enzo. Well, now that position is taken care of as well. And then we need a holder. And let's say it's someone like Emmanuel Ugarte or Emmanuel Kone who comes in. And let's say Fabinho starts 35 games and this younger player starts 25 games. And over a 24-month period, you change that. And Fabinho stays on as a holding, as a, you know, as the depth piece. But Basetic or Basetic develops behind him and can eventually take over from Fabinho when he moves on. Now that's a perfect world situation. And that's obviously without the the injury variance or whatever. But all of a sudden, all three of our midfield situations are sorted now and for the long term. You're not having to patch things together as you go. And any young players that we can find and bring in on the cheap, if we can go and buy... I say there's a Harvey Elliott that pops up in a couple of years, but they're a central midfielder, like a, a holding player. We can go and pop them up, bring them in and say, right, there's no pressure on you now. We can develop you slowly behind this. Let's say we we wanted to bring in a Job Bellingham or whoever. Like, by doing it in one go, by resetting your midfield in one go, you take all that pressure away from having to do it for a long, long time. And if your new owner's walking in the door, doesn't it make sense to do that one big splurge and know that, right, we don't need to do that again in midfield. That's just going to be about maintenance now. And the only time we'll have to replace Jude Bellingham or Enzo Fernandez is if they leave. 
And if they leave, we get a massive amount of money in. And we just put that back into that same position. Like, for me, that's what we should have been doing the last couple of years. Instead of sitting on our hands, this squad has been so poorly managed. Yeah, So poorly managed from an age profile. I I agree. And look, it's not the first time because we've been saying for the last three years that the regeneration in the attack should have been done as well. And instead it's happened across the course of six months in the end, instead of like one and then one and then one. And now it's looking like the same thing will happen to the midfield. Um, As for doing it when the new people come in, one, we don't obviously know when that will be. Would it be an ideal situation to get it over and done with? Yeah, if they have the funds there and then. Two, the other discussion point is who makes those decisions? Is it going to be you know Klopp overall? Is it going to be some of the current team staying on with the new owners? Is it going to, you know, there's so many unknown parts. And what I really, really wouldn't like is such a muddled situation where you get new people come in with the idea of what the team should look like and then they bring in the people who they just want in the team sort of thing. And that will not work. It would not work for Liverpool or Klopp or anything at all in that team building way that we have done it so far. If it's a continuation of the people making the decisions who have been, obviously with the people leaving who are leaving, Julian Ward and a couple of the others, that's fine. But in the same decision-making process, let's say, that still has to remain the same. And there are a couple of other people who are like out of contract, not this summer coming, but the following summer, who I would absolutely love Liverpool to go all in for this year, even if that means you pay, you know, not not a normal transfer fee because they have only got 12 months left, but still maybe more than you would think. You know, people like Kyo Saka as the first name, obviously. Yeah. I would go almost all in on him if we could get him this summer. Yeah, I'd pay a ferocious amount of money to get Kyle Saka to Liverpool. If you could get Saka and Bellingham and somebody else who is Enzo Fernandes or whatever, maybe you don't want Saka to be in the midfield line long term, but because he can play midfield and um, on the front line as well for at least the first year or two, you don't even need to sign anybody the following year if you if you are <laughs> that good this year. You know, there... you could do with a couple of squad free transfer additions, whatever it is that you need, but if you get the right people in, you might be set for like six years with the team. There are three, four, sorry, four real standout names to me in the class of 2024. Free agents. Bukayo Saka is absolutely right at the top of the list. Mason Mount is another interesting one. I think Jurgen would very much like Mason Mount. Um... Raphael Liao, who I know you're a fan of. Um, the big one, though, and I, I'd be stunned if he doesn't get signed to an absolutely enormous contract in the next few months, but you never know, is Vinicius Jr. Now, I don't see any possibility that Real allowed that to happen. No, I'm not even going to pretend that that one's an option. Kane is at a contract he wouldn't interest me. Declan Rice is on the list, but he... West Ham have an option to extend his deal for the year, and I'd be amazed if he ends up anywhere other than Chelsea. Um, Martinelli is at a contract in 2024, but again, I think his deal gets done. Alessandro Bastoni, he's a really interesting one to look at. Um, Marquinhos and Linkovic Savage are great, but they're they're older, and I don't think they'll be part of the profile. Uh, Usman Dembele, I mean, he's an awful lot of fun. 
Do you know, like, and then, then there's one that I don't think either of us could turn down, even though he'll be, he'll be nigh on thirty when when that comes round. In fact, he will be thirty by that summer, twenty twenty four. So he'll be he'll be twenty nine this summer. Is Mateo Kovacic, who, at any age, just gimme, because he just he's so fucking good. He is ridiculously good. But there are like. I agree. I think that that's an interesting group to be looking at. And I think we should be looking at these things. I don't know when we stop being so proactive and we stop being as smart as we were. Like, I don't know what's happened. I assume there's definitely been big disagreements behind the scenes between whether it's between the coaching staff and the analytics department or between the analytics department and the recruitment department. I don't know. But something has massively changed in how we approach things. And, like, you look at every summer since we won the Champions League, and we have not got one single summer right. We've always left ourselves short. We left ourselves massively short in the summer of 19. I know we won the league, but we won the league based on the power of the team that we had, not on what we added, and then we ran out of steam the following year. Going into that, season after we won the title we'd left ourselves short at least a center back last season then we left ourselves short a midfielder and it just costs us each and every time and it doesn't seem like that should have happened it, it seemed like we were too smart for that to happen we were lauded by everybody like you had people from clubs all over europe saying oh we study liverpool and we watch what they do i remember reading an interview with one of the recruitment guys from Atletico, uh, sorry, Athletic Bilbao, and he was talking about how in awe they were of Liverpool's recruitment. And he said, obviously, things are different for us because we can only recruit a certain, you know, pool of players. But he said we still look at what they do and we try to borrow from what they do. Nobody's borrowing from what we've done over the last four years. Nobody's borrowing from that. We haven't done a whole lot. That's the truth. No. But and what we have done is largely at odds with what we've done before. Yeah. I would, like I say, I think there is at least the one, one of those two midfielders you, you kind of have to just do if the deal is there to be done and forget the price. But like, I could I could very, very easily make an entire team out of the people who are available in 2024. Obviously, not all of them will be in the end. And obviously, you can't go out and just sign all of them anyway. But like, discussion to be had now like i know it's not allowed that a club speaks to a player or the player's representatives without permission or the rest of it but there are different ways teams do this i don't know what that was um there are different ways that teams do this all the time like you've just read the reports about enzo fernandez and a pre-contract sort of thing being agreed it won't be with liverpool it will be with intermediaries it'll be with mm. people who are go-betweens and they won't technically have any kind of um links or affiliation with the club or with the player or whichever way around it is and if you did that with Danny Olmo let's say Danny Olmo is a really good player yeah. Danny Olmo is a player who should be 70 million if you went and signed him with like three years left on his contract he's out of contract in 18 months he's the type of player Liverpool should be looking to bring in to play a Central role, a forward role, maybe as a, fo a false nine role. He's played all of those. Plays for Leipzig, all the you know the usual things that we have going for 
Liverpool and Leipzig play in the same way, blah, blah, blah. It's not really the same anymore, but he's a player who would fit. And the age is right, and the profile is right, and the work rate is right, and you can make him whatever kind of attacker you want. He's not an absolute star name like, I'd say, like Saka would be or Leao or Dembele or whatever you want to pick, but he will be, and he pretty much already is a key player for Spain and would be a starter for most Champions League sides. That kind of deal we used to do. And I think that's really what I would like to see from us over the next 18 months, let's say. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously going to be very important who we hire to replace Julian Ward. Mm-hmm. Um, when when Michael Edwards announced he was leaving and it was announced that Ward would take over, I, I said it on one of these podcasts that I was unsure, unsure that it was the right decision because have we properly gone out and checked to make sure he's the best person available? Well, we hadn't. And now he's leaving after a year. And you have to wonder, why is he leaving after a year? Like, this is your dream job, and you've waited years for this opportunity. Why are you leaving now? Why is Ian Graham leaving? And why did Michael Edwards leave? Like, I I don't know. Something is not quite right in the water. But we we have a real shot at at fixing a lot of those problems. Another name I'll throw at you, and I, I want your opinion on this one, and we, we'll leave it after this one. Would you take a gamble on Nicolo Zaniolo, even with the knee issues? Uh, give me a price. But he's got 18 months left on his deal. Transfer market have him at 30 million euro. They're not always the best. I would say... Come the summer, though, that might be in and around maybe maybe thirty five. Probably, I think for thirty, I would, because the talent is outrageous. Uh, he is. He's also been playing a lot more as like, you know, nearly a second forward. To be honest, this this year, and I think a lot of that would depend on how Liverpool play. Because I don't see him playing as a wide forward for us anymore. So I think it would be, you know, if we do have the the narrow forwards and the Firmino diamond nine and a half sort of player, I think he could be that. I don't see him being a wide forward for us. I think we need more um, speed of play, goal scoring potential, that kind of thing. More more Darwin and less Zaniolo, basically. Mm. Um, you could still have him as an eight. I'm not really sure he has the physical prowess to play it for us in the way that Klopp does. Uh, he definitely doesn't really have the defensive tenacity, let's say. Uh, no. That's a big part of the reason why Mourinho has moved him further forward, to be honest. And when he does get tenacious, he tends to get himself sent off. Yes, there's tenacity and there's just inability to tackle. <laughs> um, he's a forward for me now more than a midfielder. That's 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 how I see him. Uh, he's much more of a a second line forward than a, a running from deep midfielder, which is what he was sort of coming through basically. So yeah, I could see scope for it, but it would depend a lot on how we line up that attack. If we go to the four four two on a more regular basis, which now we're not, I would say yes, he'd be a really good second forward. If we mm. have the the withdrawn forward and very narrow wider forwards playing in all the time, again I could see him being very good there. But if it is a four three three, if Darwin is going to lead the line on a, a longer-term basis, I don't think he fits. No, I, I don't either. 
but I do I do think him and Darwin as a two or one up one up one off could be a lot of fun. Right, last thing before we go, Carl, I think we need to get in touch with Interpol and report a case of severe international bullying that's taking place. Right. So as you know, I'm a fan of Joe Felix. Mm. Uh, and I always thought it was a bizarre fit for him at Atletico Madrid under Diego Simeone, and that has proven to be the case, just that it hasn't worked. And now apparently he wants to leave, and Atleti are open to letting him leave at the right price. I would imagine that price is £90 million or, or thereabouts. One of the clubs most strongly linked, and apparently the favoured club of agent George Mendes for Joe Felix is Aston Villa. Why does George Mendes want to take him from Diego Simeone to Unai Emery? What the fuck is going on? I can only assume this is nonsense. <laughs> that's that's my verdict on it. There was actually a report, like literally just before we start this podcast that I, I read on um, Marca, that uh, suggested Jean-Felix isn't enticed, basically, by the prospect of moving to Birmingham uh, from Madrid. Why though? Um, I don't surprise. And he's not too keen on either linking up with Unai Emery, who doesn't think is Champions League caliber, or Aston Villa, who are not a team of substance. I think they're very much a club of substance, but I can I can see his point on the current group of players. Um, I do think Joao Felix and Jacob Ramsey in the same team uh, could be a lot of fun. Um, but like the the report, I think it might it might have been a translation of of, of the same report that I saw. Um, that that that's the move that Mendes wants him to take. Mendes was trying to push him towards Villa. I just like why why would you do that? He's just trying to get away from Simeone, who is an incredible manager, but stylistically it was always a horrible fit. But to to go to Unai Emery, who's basically what you'd get if you ordered Diego Simeone off wish, just doesn't seem like just doesn't seem like a nice thing to do to a player that you represent. I have nothing more to add on the matter on either <laughs> the club he's joining or the club he's not. Right, we will we'll, we will leave it there, and um, we will hope that in the coming weeks and months we see an upturn in fortune and maybe a couple of players arrive and maybe the ownership change and whatever else and money to spend and all the rest of that good stuff. But it must start with Liverpool beating Aston Villa on the 26th. The cup game we'd like to win because it's City more than anything, but we've got to get back to winning ways and we've, we've got to sort ourselves out. Is there anything you want to make people aware of before we go? I've no idea when this is going out, so it might all be redundant. Me neither. Um, I think the best thing to do is just to get in touch on Twitter or Discord if you would like us to discuss specific things across the Christmas, New Year, whole sort of period before we get back into the regularity of Scouted and Raw and Scouted and Raw and Scouted and Raw every single three days. Yes. Yes. Joy of joys. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. 
The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.